Okay, good morning, one and all. My name is Adrian, if you don't know me. Uh, I'd love to get to know you if I don't know you already. Uh, so maybe we can chat at the end. Um, in terms of this next part, I'm going to take us through this series we've been looking in uh, called Living Restoration, which is uh, how Jesus desires uh, to shape the whole of our life. Uh, and we'll look at that in a moment. But before we get there, I just wanted to share a couple of stories, actually. Last weekend, on the Friday and Saturday, I had the privilege of gathering with a number of people from uh, the family of churches that we belong to called Catalyst. And uh, through the Friday and Saturday, uh, we had some great times of worship, some great times of teaching. But within it, probably the highlights for me are the moments where you just get to hear stories, both from this nation and other nations. And there were many, many different stories uh, told. But I wanted to just zoom in on two. Uh, I want to zoom in on two because probably these two stories um, both humbled me the most, challenged me the most, and encouraged me the most. Uh, the first story was of an Iraqi uh, believer, an Iraqi man who's a follower of Jesus. Uh, and the story was told that um, uh, he was taken by a group of people who basically just wanted to intimidate him uh, because of his faith in Jesus. And they took him aside and they said, look, you need to, to just renounce your faith in Jesus. Uh, and he said, no. And so they said, well, then we're going to beat you. And so they just started beating him. And as he was being beaten, he said, amazingly, he felt no pain. And then, having beaten him, they got frustrated with the fact that he still wouldn't say, no, I'm not going to believe in Jesus, and didn't seem to be affected by the beating. And so then they got a five-liter can of petrol and poured it over his head. And then they went up and said, look, are you going to stop believing in Jesus? And he said, no. And so then they struck a match, but however much hard they tried, it just would not ignite. And so they got just really frustrated. So they went and got 10 liters of petrol and poured that over him and struck the match, but it would not light. And at the end of it, they said, just go away. The second story is of a young lady who's 15 years old uh, from Nigeria uh, and some time ago, she was taken by Boko Haram. And when her and her friends were taken, uh, it was discovered that she was a follower of Jesus. Uh, and so she was told, look, don't believe in Jesus and we'll let you go back to your family. And she said, no, no, I'm I, I believe in Jesus. Uh, and I'm not going to say I don't. And so they said, well, I tell you what, we're going to let the other people go uh, who we took with you. And so as they're leaving, her, as her friends are leaving to go back to their families, to go back to their village, she turns to them and says, please tell my parents that I love them, and either I will see them in this life, or I will see them at the bosom of Christ. And as, she's, as I heard these stories, I, I felt humbled. I felt humbled to think, these are my brothers and sisters. These are my family. These are your family if you're a follower of Jesus. These could be your family if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. I felt encouraged to think, man, there are men and women, and these are just two individuals. There are countless stories like this of people who've realized the wonder of who Jesus is and said, actually, him and no one else. But I also felt challenged. Challenged of thinking, do I live like that? I wonder if you feel challenged. Do you live like that? Today, as we look at this 
next part of our series, looking at the Beatitudes of Living Restoration, where we're looking at how Jesus spells what it looks like to live a life in light of the goodness of what he gives to us, of the life he gets to offer us, and also how we then get to live in light of that life that we've received to then show that to the world around us. He kind of punches a blow at the end. He doesn't kind of pull the punch. He like punches you in the face and says, hey, living restoration is about persecution. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to be zooming in uh, on verses 10 to 12. So Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If I'm being honest, I kind of like these to stop at verse 9. I think, man, I love the life. I'm, I love the fact that I'm humbled and say, yeah, God, I have nothing, and yet I get to receive everything from you. I love the fact that I get to live this life having known mercy, showing it to the world around. I love the fact that I've known such goodness from God that I get to be one who brings goodness in every and any arena. I love the fact that I get to be one who knows wholeness and gets to show wholeness to the rest of the world. But it's hard to think, oh yeah, and then as you live this way, oh, there'll be persecution. There's going to be people against you. There's going to be people out of how you act, what you say or don't say, who then react in a way that does you harm. And it's like on this beatitude, you know, Jesus doesn't extend or amplify any of the others. It's like, let's say, yeah, blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. There's nothing extra there. It's just that. On this one, though, he starts off, blessed are you, sorry, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's like, just in case you didn't get it, guys, I'm going to amplify this a bit more. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecute the prophets who were before you. So this one, he amplifies it. Like, why? I don't, I don't know whether you're sat there thinking that. I, I think, well, why amplify this one? This is a hard call. This is something I don't quite like talking about. You know, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus here, and at this point you think, I'm out. I thought this was just like kind of nice singing, people who seem to be a bit friendly. Uh, it seems okay. Now you're saying, hey, following Jesus, expect persecution. Like, what is this? Why would you speak about that? Well, I wonder whether it's not about the persecution. See, if we hear this and say, hey, blessed are those who persecute, then the danger is then that we think, badge of honor, let's go out and get persecuted. That's surely the point here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. I wonder whether 
rather than this, it reveals something about who we truly are and what we live for. See that 15-year-old in Nigeria, that Iraqi man, they're not wearing those moments of persecution of, hey, this justifies me. Rather, it reveals the life and what is most important to them. I wonder if that's what's going on here. You see, Jesus is a realist. You see it in um, Matthew 15. Matthew 15 is this amazing chapter. Starts off with Jesus painting this image of he's the vine, we're the branches. You know, cheesy songs have been written about it. But in it is this sense of we now are abiding like a branch into this root, this, bro- this stem, this trunk. Like such is our connection. We're being fed by Jesus. We are deeply connected to him. And we hear that and think, this is the best news ever. And he says, you know, this is one where I've come to bring life, to sustain you. Also, I've come to bring you joy to complete you. And then he kind of rounds it off in chapter 15, 18, 20 with this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus says, look, if you're a follower of me, one who's been grafted in, one now who's a branch of my trunk, one who's been sustained by my life, one who's been filled by the joy that I'm able to give them. Now, as the world has treated me, they're going to treat you that way. He's a realist. We're like centering on that bit. It then continues in Matthew 16, says, hey, what does it look like to follow me? It's like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple, my follower, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's a hard call. Jesus said, hey, you want everything that I am able to offer here? Recognize how amazing I am and just deny everything else. Take up a cross the most cruel, barbaric death possible, and follow me. Deny yourself. He says, the world's hated me, it'll hate you. The world's persecuted me, it's going to persecute you. Hey, deny yourself and follow me. This is not good news, surely. Like, Maybe you've come out this morning and you think, man, surely I'm going to gather and feel encouraged and like, hey, we're here to change the world. This is amazing. Maybe you're here saying, who is Jesus? Like, tell me about him. And now I'm being told this. This is not good news. Like, you're going to be hated, persecuted, and you need to deny anything that gives you pleasure because ultimately you can find something better in Jesus. That's not good news. Or is it? See, Jesus calls us not to consider the hatred. He doesn't call us to consider the persecution. 
It doesn't say, focus on how you're going to get hated. Focus on how you're going to be persecuted. Focus on everything you've denied. He says, focus on the life that you've gained. And that's the point of this. Not that we live thinking about what could happen to us. It's rather we live remembering what we've received as a free, free gift through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus loved telling people about this. And so he tells a couple of stories. He tells a story of a pearl of great price. This was this merchant, and he was top at his job. He knew how to get the best of the best, and he had many treasures. He'd toured the world as known at that point, and gathered the best pearls there were, and that he had a lot of money. And yet there came this moment where he found a seller who had a pearl, and as he looked and inspected it, he realized that this pearl was far greater than any other. And then he looked at everything else he had. No price had been mentioned. And he said, Here is everything I have. I give it to receive that pearl. And Jesus tells another story. He says, there's this man who went out and he saw this field. And in the field, he looked. I don't know what was there, but he knew there was some treasure. It was before the days of those weird kind of sensor things that people go on the beach on looking for empty cans. I I don't know why people do that, but they they just do it for fun. Before those moments, but he knows there's something in that field. And Jesus says, he looks at everything else he has and goes to the seller of the field and says, look, have everything. I want the field. But it's nothing about the field. It's about the treasure that was hidden there. Jesus says, this is the life that I'm looking to offer. This is the life that you can gain. Because the pearl and the treasure is me. And anyone who truly sees me, anyone who truly receives me, suddenly realizes that everything and anything else is worth giving up. Mike's already mentioned it, but Paul, who's this follower of Jesus, who turned from a man who was actively seeking to stamp out anyone who was a follower of Jesus. It said he was a zealot. He was beyond anyone else in his desire to do harm to anyone who was following Jesus. Like, if he had a badge of honor, it was persecutor of all followers of Jesus. And in a moment, on a road to Damascus, Jesus meets with him. And in that moment, as he's blinded, as a phenomenal musician says, by his grace, he then thinks, pearl of great price, treasure in a field, I give up everything else. So that he would pen to church in Philippi. In chapter 3, verse 8, what is more, I consider Everything. Like, everything is an overdone word, isn't it? I know everything. I've thought about everything. Really? You've thought about everything? Like, from the micro to the macro? And Paul's writing this. He was a wordsmith. He knew what he's doing at this point. He says, what is more, I consider everything from the micro, the microscopic, to the macro, the ends of the heavens... And it's a loss 
It's rubbish. It's garbage compared to what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And Paul would write and say, this is who he is. Pearl of great price, treasure in a field, worth giving up everything for because of the wonder of who he is. See, we need to be those who continuously are remembering, reminding ourselves of the wonder of this life we have in Jesus. See, this life in Jesus, this is just a snapshot. I can't give you, I do these moments basically to help you with a bit of homework so you can just take a photo of it with your camera phone and think, oh, I can look at that during the week. Or maybe you could do your own research and think, hey, what is, how good is Jesus? Let's look, read through the Gospels and see how wonderful he is. Read through the New Testament letters and see how they're expanding. Read through the whole of the Old Testament, seeing how it points to him. But in this moment, we haven't got time to do all of that. So here's just a few things I see about the life of G- in Jesus, the life we gain through him. He's one who truly satisfies, John 6, 35. He's one who will protect, guide, and provide for us, John 10, 11. He's one who sustains everything of who we are, John 15, 1. He's one, we've already heard about this this morning, he's one who illuminates us and comforts us, John 10, 7. He's our friend, profound. He's our friend who lays down his life out of love, not duty, for you and I. John 15, 13. He's one who provides the way to the Father. John 10, 7. He never will leave us, or as Rich said, forsake us. Matthew 28, 20. He offers us a life in full. John 10, 10. A life full of joy. John 15, 11. He brings us into this loving community of God, John 17, 21, where Jesus says, as he's always known the Father's love and the Father has always known his love through the Spirit, we now get to be not onlookers in, not servers of, but partakers in this eternal loving community of God. And he offers us a life shaped by peace, John 20, 19. I don't know what a pearl of great price or a treasure hidden in the field looks like for you, but I think for me it looks like that. And you see, as we understand what we've got, then Jesus says this, Matthew 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. You see, there will become moments of persecution. And in those moments, what Jesus wants us to understand is that there is not because of us just being offensive. Like Some people have got that wrong. There are some people who just seem to go out in the world to be offensive. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. We may cause offense by our words, but they will be motivated out of love. We're not going out to offend people. That's not what Jesus is talking about. As I said, it's not about a badge of honor of, hey, look how much I've got beaten up this week. That's not that. It's not about our foolishness because we say or do unwise things. No, he's saying, no, as you live in the good of the life that you've received and then seek to show that in the world around you, 
Sometimes it will cause a reaction in others. Because of me. Because you're deeply connected to me. And as you live a life that's revealing me, sometimes it will cause others to think, I cannot take this. I want nothing to do with it. And I'm in John's gospel at the moment, and you continuously see Jesus having one group of people who are totally against him. It isn't those who are outside, like the God community. It's those who are inside it, who are continuously against him. See, those moments of persecution are going to come, and they're going to come in different ways. And so it might be through violence, death, or imprisonment. And for many believers in the, at this moment, that's what they're facing throughout the globe. We are a privileged people who live in the West, where, to be honest, we don't have to deal with violence, death, or imprisonment. But we still have moments where there is persecution against us. It might be through a whispering campaign. It might be through social isolation. It might be through verbal abuse. It might be being passed over for promotion. It might be the rejection by friends or family or something else. Remember, not because we're being offensive, not because we've been foolish, but because it's about him. I can think of moments, I remember, like, Skinny Adrian, that's me, I often think, talk to myself in third person, age 20, working in the civil service. And I'm there, and to be honest, I was a bit nervous about telling everyone I was a follower of Jesus. And so I just lived some stuff. And I remember being, on a Friday lunchtime, everyone went to the pub. I remember going to the pub on a Friday lunchtime, and this guy, who I was really good friends with, he just suddenly turned on me, and he said, Adrian, you do my head in. Why do you never, now, all of you are thinking, yeah, we've all been there. Um, it wasn't for the reasons you're thinking. Um, Adrian, you do my head in. You never swear. I think, how, how have you noticed that? And also, you never talk about how drunk you get. In actual fact, you're drinking a Coke. Drink some alcohol now and swear. And I'm like, No. No, I'm not going to do that. And then he turns to me and says, are you one of those followers of Jesus? And I'm like, oh, I didn't think it was going to go down like this. I said, yes. And at that point, the torrent started. I cannot repeat what then went was said. And he carried on for some time until another of my friends stepped in and said, I think you've said enough. But to be honest, I can also tell stories where as I've sought to live a life that is shaped by Jesus, that reveals who Jesus is, who's one of grace and mercy, I've actually known some of that stuff from within the church community. See, sometimes we can think the persecution comes from outside, but sometimes it comes from within. So the question is then, how do we then deal with it? How are we going to respond to persecution. You see, what Jesus says, well, there's some, he kind of doesn't say some stuff, actually. He says, well, what you don't do is retaliate. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, if you're persecuted, think, well, if they've said that, I'm going to do that. Or if they've done this to me, I'm going to do that to them. But Jesus doesn't need to say this because actually he's one who modeled it. You see, at his crucifixion, the pinnacle of the persecution against him you see one who doesn't retaliate, 
could have spoken at any point. And the father would have responded and sent legions of angels saying, man, you're not doing this. He says, no, there's a greater plan here. So rather from the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When we face persecution, it's not retaliation we give. It's love. But it's also not a moment to resent. Jesus doesn't say that. Isn't we turn inwards and think, oh, woe is me. We poor Christians. No. What does Jesus say? Jesus says the most outrageous reaction we're to have to persecution. He says, rejoice, verse 12. That's your fact. The rejoice word that's used in the Greek literally means leap for joy. Some of you, that's all you're going to remember. Adrian did something very weird. Leapt for joy. That in this moment, Jesus is saying, Persecution comes, it causes you to leap for joy. Why? Well, it's not because you're getting punched, it's not because you're getting kicked, it's not because you're being socially isolated. Hooray! No, it's not because of that. It's because as we are leaping for joy, we're rejoicing, remembering what? We're remembering the life that we have, remembering the relationship with Jesus that we now are sustained by. We get our phone out and we look at that screen thinking, Jesus is these things for me. He satisfies. He's never going to leave me. He's my friend who laid down his life for me. And he loves me. And I'm now caught up in the eternal God relationship of love forever. So I get to rejoice in that. Because I realize at this moment it's just pointing to what I actually get to enjoy. But it also causes us to rejoice in the hope that we have. This world isn't as it's always going to be. And sometimes moments come where people say, hey, I don't like what you're saying. It's to remind us this world isn't yet as it's meant to be. And so in those moments, what we get to remember is, hey, one day, God is going to come and fill this planet with his goodness and love. And as that's done, we're then told... And I don't know how it's going to work. That's for God to sort out. But there'll become a moment where every single one of us meets Jesus face to face. And the one who's described in Revelation with eyes like fire, with a mouth like rushing water will speak. And he'll speak over to you, over you and over me. Welcome, my beloved, my good and faithful servant and there will not be a dry eye in the house because suddenly we realize the one thing we'd always wanted to hear was always found in him but it's not only that that we rejoice in of what is to come it's also the fact that we're not alone see why is it we gather like this it's not to protect ourselves it's to encourage one another it means that when we hit moments where actually we've got stuff happening around us that people are reacting and are against us, we're not alone. We get others who get to stand with us and say, we're with you. We want to encourage you. We want to pray for you. We're not going to go out there and retaliate. Isn't we suddenly get in the car, get the heavies, get a few baseball bats and go to town? No, it's that we go and we stand with one another and say, hey, remember the prize. Remember the prize. How do we land this? Let me tell you a story. 
A guy called Pete Rowlands, don't agree with everything he says, but I think this story is good. He tells modern-day parables, and he tells this story. He says, there comes a day and Christianity has been outlawed. And anyone who is connected with following Jesus or being calling themselves a Christian is arrested and brought to court. And he says, you have been arrested and brought to court. And what is presented before the judge is evidence against you. You find out that the, someone has been secretly taking photos of you attending your church services. Someone's been taking photos of you going to your small groups. Also, your Bible has been taken. All the bits you've highlighted. And there's evidence of prayers that you've prayed. Someone's recorded them. There's evidence of things that you've spoken. And it's all brought before the judge. As you stand there, you realize the judge has in his power to imprison you for life. And you wonder, will you ever see anyone again? Then the judge, having heard all the evidence and hearing different people's stories about how they've seen you life, and, uh, see you live, asks you to go and wait with the bailiff out in the corridor while he deals with the evidence to pass judgment. After an hour, you are invited to come back in. And you come back in and the judge stands and puts on his wig to pass his judgment. And he looks at you and says, not guilty. And you sit there and hear it. You think, I'm free. But then you realize You shout up and speak up and say, hey, I'm a Christian. And the judge turns to you and says, after examining the evidence, I can see nothing of your life that points to being a follower of Jesus. The mic is dropped. What does your life say about who you are? What does my life say about who I am? We start off by thinking persecution. It's not about that. It's about what we're living for. What does our life reveal? Can I leave us with a couple of questions? What do others see when they look at how we live? I don't mean the impressive bit. I don't mean these kind of bits where I stand up and talk. I mean the bits where no one else sees how we conduct ourselves with our neighbors, our family, the shopkeeper, the taxi driver, other drivers, the people we do business with, the people we work in the office of. Not to condemn us, but to remind us. Are we settling for less than the life that's on offer and allowing Jesus to permeate every part of us and having allowed him to permeate every part of us are we then allowing him to be revealed through everything we say and don't say everything we do and don't do and then lastly maybe you're here today and you just know you got some stuff happening you know there's some people against you and today is a moment just to say can you stand with me 
can pray for me and we'll, at the end I'll finish and there'll be people up here who'd love to pray for you. But I'm not here to condemn. Please hear that. This is as much about me as you. But I think there's sometimes where we have to take this stuff seriously. And please hear that heart. Let's imagine for a moment a 15-year-old Nigerian girl comes in, released from Bakuran, and then says, hey, this is my story. Brother, sister, what's yours? Let's live real. Can I pray for us? Jesus, I thank you your heart for us is one of love and mercy. And I thank you in your love and mercy, you want to shape everything of how we live. And I pray, Jesus, we want to be those that live knowing the treasure and pearl we have in you. And I pray, God, as we live knowing that treasure and pearl, I pray would we also live revealing you. And Jesus, I know, I, 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 on hand on heart, I know there's, there are moments of my life where I'm not. And Jesus, I say, I, I want to keep living a path of restoration where every part of me is revealing you. And Jesus, I pray for each of us. I pray where I know you're putting your finger on parts of our lives. I pray that we wouldn't go feeling condemned, but rather being liberated. Saying, Jesus, here's my heart. Speak what's true. And would you cause me to change what's going on? I ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.